the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, over the last year, two years, three years, there just feels like there's kind of been this wave of um, of scandal within the church, yep. and and then those scandals kind of quiet down and usually then a report comes out six months later and it kind of riles back up again. It comes back up again. And that's the case you might remember from back in 2020 of John Ortberg and his church, Menlo Church out in the San Francisco area. Um, And Aubrey, this was a painful one for many reasons for a lot of us, A, because I don't know how many books, how many John Ortberg books have you read? I've read a ton of them. <laughs> I've read a ton. I've listened to him. He's such a good Bible teacher and preacher. So it's another one of those situations where you're just like, oh, man, come on. And so you might remember, well, let me give you the background of the story, because okay. a third party investigation done by a, a group called Zero Abuse Project came out. Uh, and they found, quote, uh, it, so anyway, the most prominent of mega churches out there was consumed. Its congregation and former pastor's family ended this week with a report that found no evidence the pastor's adult child had acted on his confessed attraction to minors. Here's the quote. After interviewing 104 witnesses and reviewing or analyzing more than 500,000 documents, at 500,000 documents. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. Zero Abuse Project did not find any disclosure or any other direct evidence the volunteer in question sexually abused a child. And this is where it gets a little, um, well, it's dark from the beginning, but the, the volunteer that's discussed it actually turned out to be John Ortberg's son. He right. was known as Individual A in this, and he confessed to having long been sexually attracted to children. Uh, and so the question really became, what did the church do about it? Here's what I found fascinating about the report uh, of this story, because it goes on to say this. Um, Zero abuse concludes that the decision of the senior pastor, that's John Oberg, not to disclose to church leaders or others the conversation he had with the volunteer, as well as the decision of the church elders not to be fully transparent about this situation, caused significant damage to the Menlo community, the report states. It goes on to say the report found leaders had harmed the church by withholding key information from congregation members, including about this volunteer. So here's here's what struck me as really uh, heartbreaking in this, Aubrey, that A, thankfully, there was no abuse ever happened. Praise God for that. No abuse happened. But but uh, this volunteer who turned out to be John Ortberg's son confessed to an attraction to children, yeah. a sexual attraction to children, and they kind of covered it up. They let him continue serving with children at the church. 
and they allowed him to continue coaching a youth sports team. And, and basically, uh, and you might remember it got really weird because another family member is the one who brought yes. this to light. I, I had, I had forgotten that, but as you were telling it, I thought, Oh wait, another family member brought yep. this forward. Yeah. So John Ortberg ended up resigning in the summer of 2020. So that's the background of this story, Aubrey. Uh, I think this shines such an enormous light on something that we talk about and we know. Uh, but yet we don't always do well with the cover up is so often worse than the crime. Oh, I mean, it's certainly it's certainly part of the crime. I would say the cover up is certainly part of the problem and um, exacerbates what, you know, could come out earlier and some due diligence that could be done. And unfortunately, in this situation, it seems like the cover ups, the downfall, because, there, you know, there's some things like, okay. The son comes forward, confesses this thing that's uh, pretty probably vulnerable and shameful to confess. Yes. And I understand, perhaps as a dad, that you don't go public with that information. But Mm -hmm. I don't understand allowing him to stay in children's ministry and continue to be in relationship with kids. Now, it's so great that it seems like he has enough... uh, had enough discipline or accountability or what have you to keep him from abusing any kids. And so we thank God for that. Um, I don't know. I think this is a really hard situation. What, you know, the cover up, who does, who does he tell? Does he tell elders? Probably. I mean, there are probably some people he needed to tell the whole congregation didn't necessarily need to know, but you're right. The cover up is part of the problem. That's right. And so uh, it goes on to say that while they found no evidence of abuse, he was often still left alone with individual youth group members, including giving them rides home uh, and other things. And um, and so really the takeaway for me here is, Aubrey, and I want to be sensitive to the complicating factor that it's his son. Yeah, totally get it. Yeah. But the bigger scale question here for us as leaders in churches and not in churches, maybe you're in organizations with children or whatever, is that you must always, and I, and I stress always, uh, err on the side of protecting the children. There you go. Bingo. You always err on the side of protecting yes, the children. That's right, Brian. And like you said, this could have been done without outing him to a, to the whole church. They could yeah. have just removed him from leadership, told the elders, like you said, and gone about um, strengthening some of their children's ministry policies, which this report also found there were just glaring weaknesses in a lot okay. of their policies, okay. which I'm guessing a lot of us would find that if a report came out about our churches, yeah, even though we don't so. want that right, to be the right. case. Uh, but, Aubrey, it feels like this is, yet again, the the biblical principle uh, that keeping th- allowing things to stay in darkness is never a good idea, that following yeah. Jesus is about Things coming to light, finding healing, uh, finding um, yeah restoration, but but purposely church leaders purposely keeping things in the dark. It feels like that is almost the common denominator of all of these scandals. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, again, the criminal behavior there there wasn't that in this situation, but the criminal right. behavior is. The scandal. That yes. said, you're exactly right. All of these stories we're hearing is that somebody knew it was reported. Somebody told somebody, somebody, the person in charge knew did nothing. And so yeah. I guess this is a big cautionary tale for all of us in leadership. 
you if you know something, you need to report it to the police, to the elders, to, uh, you know, if it's criminal behavior, certainly the police. If it's sketchy behavior, certainly to the elders and the other leaders. Uh, do your due diligence to tell the right people because that's the right thing to do. Well put. Well put. It'll be interesting uh, if and when we ever hear from again from John Orberg, not even necessarily about the scandal, but just it, it's. It's just like they they kind of these things happen and these major prominent figures just kind of go away, right? Like, yeah, they do. They just anything. disappear. Haven't heard anything from Hybels in a while. Haven't heard anything again, like from Ortberg in a while. Yep, Mark Driscoll. That's that's the uh, that's the other side of that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Keep hearing from Driscoll, don't we? <laughs> well, coming up next, we're excited to hear from Craig Deal. Craig Deal serves as CEO of an organization called. Foundations for Farming, an organization based in Zimbabwe. And just a month ago, Craig received the inaugural Extraordinary Impact Award from the Christian Economic Forum. So we're excited to talk to Craig Deal next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, I'm not sure we've ever had a guest from as far away as we're about to do, all the way from Zimbabwe. Love this. Yeah, I know. We're excited to talk to the CEO of a great organization called Foundations for Farming. His name is Craig Deal. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm very well good. Thank you. Lovely to meet you guys. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And Craig, before we jump in to talk about your organization and all that you guys are doing, uh, why don't you just introduce yourself? Let our audience get to know you a little bit better. Right. Well, I consider myself a a white African. I'm a third generation Zimbabwean. And uh, I was a career farmer for for many years, over 20 years. And then we fell uh, victim of the uh, Zimbabwe's land reform process where we were evicted from our farm without compensation. We were we were a pretty big farm growing uh, oranges and mangoes and a lot of horticultural produce for around the world. I'd lived there all my life and uh, just really enjoyed the farm life and but we we got very quickly knocked off our, um, our pedestals when this happened. And uh, as a result of that, um, my family and I were, were faced with a, a three-choice three scenario, actually. Um, when, when you are, lose everything overnight from being um, top of the tree, uh, it's very humbling. And God used that in me to break me down and to knock the arrogance and pride out of me. And that was, we were faced with a a scenario of we could fight, we could flee, or we Mm. could forgive. Mm. And uh, some of my friends uh, just tried to fight for their land and and they were killed for it. Mm. Um, We, the vast majority of the farmers left the country. But for me and my family, we felt that, uh, if we were going to carry harbor any uh, bitterness and uh, angst, um, immigration leaving the country wasn't an option because if you're still carrying that rucksack of bitterness, there's no real country far enough mm-hmm. away. Yeah. So we decided which was the hardest was the forgiveness route. And um, 
Bible tells us if you sow in your tears, because we had plenty of tears during that mm. time, and if you sow in your tears, you'll reap songs of joy. Mm. So I am doing that right today with you guys, reaping the songs of joy that God promises if you just be obedient to him. Mm. Mm, love that. It's so beautiful, Craig. And Craig, can you tell us a little bit more about your work at Foundations for Farming? What do you do? How did you get involved? And what differences are you seeing? Yes, Aubrey. Well, um, when we were evicted from the farm and I was at a loose end and we didn't know, we didn't know where we were going, uh, the Lord opened up uh, an opportunity for me with Foundations for Farming. It, and um, it's a, an, a Christian organization that teaches uh, small-scale farmers primarily the very the least of our brothers, how to become productive and how to get uh, escape the twin yokes of poverty and dependency that we see in Africa. Mm. And it was through my journey that um, the Lord opened my eyes to this new technology, and it also gave me an opportunity now to serve um, by teaching this, the skill that I had, teaching it on to those that had less than me. And so that was God's way of getting me into it. But Foundations for Farming is actually a very simple technology based on what we see in creation, what we see in nature. Mm. And it comes from Romans 1, 18 to, to 22, that says if you've seen creation, if you've seen nature, you've seen God. So we just emulate in a very simple way, a simple technology of what we see in nature. We transfer that into cropping. Um, that that is coupled with a very simple uh, management system that is distilled down to village level, where the grandmother can grasp it, the grandmother can understand it, mm. and she can get to a place where she can feed her family, come out of poverty and out of subsistence into profitability. So, wow. um, but 80% of what we teach is scriptural because you will never get a behavior change in the village unless you've had a heart change. So we will spend 80% of our time teaching the heart of Christ Jesus. And then the agriculture becomes very easy. Mm, Craig, that's beautiful. What, what results have you seen? What kind of difference is it making uh, in villages and in families that you're working with? Well, it's astounding, really, because because you're dealing holistically with the whole man. We teach four Fs in our uh, teachings. It starts with faith, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we we want to get all our our trainees to cross the line of faith. Then we teach about family as well, because um, the 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 family structure is in tatters at the moment. So we need to teach family, biblical family values. And then we follow that up with, obviously, the farming. And then finally, we teach finance, which is finance is the fruit. We teach farming is the, the stewardship of the land. Finance is, is stewardship of the fruit of the land. And we do that in conjunction with uh, Crown Financial Ministries in, oh. in the U.S. Oh, great. And between us, um, we, we teach those four Fs into what we call an I Was Hungry program where we bring villagers in to our facility in Harare and we we've, um, teach them at a deep level for two weeks um, all those uh, aspects of life. 
And then we release them back into the village and we walk alongside them for two years after that. And so that is where you get real dynamic heart change in a village and that cascades up to neighbors and family and surrounding villages. Oh, it's so interesting. Craig, can you um, personalize this for our listeners just a little bit? Tell us maybe one powerful story of a way you've seen God at work during your time with Foundations for Farming. Yes, Aubrey. Well, funnily enough, uh, a lot of the testimonies we have, uh, you know, we've got the obvious testimonies about yields improving and stuff like that. But we hear a lot of people who go back and reconcile with their spouses. Um, there's great healing within families. We have a, a, a grandmother who is 78 years old. She's been widowed for over 30 years. And she, on her own, on one and a half acres of land, has put three children fully through through school. And so this, this faithful old lady does it all herself by hand, mm. grows the crops totally by herself, and is just a shining model of what can be done with faithfulness. But on a, on a larger scale, Aubrey, the, uh, our nation, Zimbabwe, has been not food secure for over 20 years now. Mm. And uh, been, we've been importers of food. Um, the, uh, the country has not produced enough. And then, but we have been teaching this methodology for 38 years now, and we've been, just been, uh, we've been totally ignored by authorities and those in government. But last year, in, in 2019, the country was gripped with a very severe drought. And funnily enough, through, through Twitter, of all things, one of the senior uh, figures in our Ministry of Agriculture here saw during that drought there were some crops that were surviving the drought and others were dying. And he, he did an investigation and he found out that it was the people that we had trained had managed to pull off decent crops, even in a severe drought. So he asked me and a colleague to go and see him and we, we explained what we do. And uh, he just grabbed it. He's a very energetic man and he grabbed it and, uh, we felt we were suddenly in our Joseph season because we had served for so long without reward in government circles. Mm. And so you serve and you serve and you serve and eventually the king calls you. And, and we felt that that happened to us. And this man grabbed it. We, we started training his extension officers and he, uh, he rolled it out. And in a few months' time, we found that the training had gone to 1.6 million households. Wow. From, wow. From our little team of 15. And, and so it was a real miracle of multiplication. Yeah. God did it. It wasn't anything specifically we did. It was just God's time. And God just uh, used this opportunity to, to cascade this out throughout a nation. And then, of course, uh, 2020 comes and the people have been taught. And we, the Lord blessed us with a beautiful rainy season. And the, the end result is that the country produced four times more grain than it did the previous year. Wow. Absolutely. Amazing. Praise God. Miracle from God, yes. 
That's extraordinary. And we want to offer congratulations in September. Craig received the inaugural Extraordinary Impact Award from the Christian Economic Forum. Well-deserved for your organization. Uh, Let me point people to, if you're more interested in learning more about Foundations for Farming, uh, you know, supporting them or or just learning more about them, go to foundationsforfarming.org. That is foundationsforfarming.org. Craig, as we said, you're furthest away from anyone we've ever talked to. So this has (laughs) been a great pleasure. You guys are doing amazing work. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. Hope that you're having a great day. All right, Aubrey, are you, I'm guessing... I'm going to make an assumption here. I don't think you okay. listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> so my husband sometimes listens, and Doesn't. I think it is so ridiculous, so misogynistic, so boys club. I can't handle it. I'm like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. But I know Joe Rogan is very influential and very popular. Here's what people love. I, I've never I've listened to some, but here's what makes it difficult for me. Um, just very practically, but it's what makes it more fascinating than most podcasts out there. He will sit in a studio with a person and go for three hours. And one of the interesting things is he will have really a well-known people on, but he will also have on people a that aren't well-known and still talk to them for three hours. Like there's gotta be a, um, a curiosity in you that, allows you to sit and talk to somebody for three hours. Uh, but two, and this is what I'll talk about here. He'll bring up people who vehemently disagree with him and yes. give them a platform to talk about and to debate back and forth as to why they think he's wrong or why he thinks they're wrong yeah. and go at it and have a legitimate three hour conversation. So it's not just like, let me bring on my buddies who agree with everything. Cause as we know, uh, that's leading into this Joe Rogan, uh, he many people have a problem with him about COVID right now. So he just had COVID, if you remember. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, but he he's pretty anti-vaccine. Although in this interview, he kind of says, "I'm not really anti-vaccine, but here's why I didn't get it." Uh, but he's one of the people that a lot of the people who are anti-vaccine will hold up Joe Rogan, and um, even though Joe Rogan says things like, "I'm not a doctor," he will say still say definitive things. And so, with that in mind, it's really interesting who his guest was the other day. He had on from CNN, or we know him from CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You oh, know Dr. Gupta. Yes, he's a chief medical correspondent, right, for CNN. And so, therefore, not surprisingly, Sanjay Gupta is a huge proponent of the vaccine. And that shouldn't surprise course, anybody. Yeah. And so it became really interesting that Joe Rogan would say, hey, I want to have Sanjay Gupta on in here. And at CNN.com, Sanjay Gupta wrote an article as to answering why he went on it's mm. literally titled why Joe Rogan and I sat down and talked for more than three hours. And he goes through in the article, his experience as to what it was like and uh, how he comes away really kind of impressed by Joe Rogan. even oh. though he says, I didn't convince him of anything. Let's listen just to a minute or two uh, of, of a little bit of what they talked about. Having had COVID, would you have, would you have, 
wish that you had been vaccinated no. beforehand? But I, I you almost got it. vaccinated. Yeah, but I, again, I explained you all that. through it. I, I, but I got through COVID yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was my, my, my thought was, I'm a healthy person. I exercise constantly. I'm always taking vitamins. I take care of myself. I felt like I was going to be okay, and that was true. It was correct. Mm. I'm happy. I got through it. I don't wish it upon anyone. It wasn't fun, but it wasn't the worst cold I've ever had, and I got over it fairly quickly. All right, Aubrey. So you might be wondering, what's the takeaway here for me? Because I don't want to talk about vaccines. I kind of laid the groundwork for Joe Rogan. People were telling Sanjay Gupta that you're a fool for going on this podcast because he's anti-vaccine. He's anti-this. He's anti-that. Uh, whereas Sanjay Gupta comes back and he says, listen, I'm usually spending my day talking to people who agree with me. Mm. I wanted to go to a place where maybe I could convince some people to get vaccinated and have an important conversation. Aubrey, this you're you're got or getting your master's degree in evangelism. This feels like the debates we have about evangelism. Do oh, you go to right. places where right. people are very anti-Christian, anti-Jesus? Right. Is that our call or do we kind of stick to people who agree with us? And and the people who are very evangelistically minded will be like, hey, Paul, going to Athens, I need to get where people are yes. like totally against the gospel. That's kind of what Sanjay Gupta, that's what it made me think of when I read this article. He's going why would I spend all my time talking to right. people who agree with me? Right. Why not go here? And Joe Rogan's doing the same thing. Aubrey, I feel like there's a there's an evangelism, an evangelistic lesson here for us. I think there's an evangelism lesson. I also think there's kind of a prophet lesson, right? Because really, he's uh, Sanjay Gupta is going in to be like a prophet in the wilderness, right? But perhaps one person, two people, three. I mean, I'm sure Rogan's podcast reaches millions of people millions so let's say a thousand of those people get the vaccine like because he uh sanjay gupta decided to sort of go against the flow i think that's brave and powerful i also think there's a beautiful example here of reasonable conversation debate nuance something we talk about civility like here's Mm -hmm. two men who totally disagree with each other but we're willing to have this conversation with one another and go pretty deep, it seems like. But yes, going back to your ultimate question about evangelism, 100%. I mean, this is, it's sick people who need the gospel, right? (laughs) Right? It's not those who are well. And so if we continue to go to our echo chambers to just affirm what we already know and believe, I don't know that that makes much of a difference. Now, certainly there's a voice to uh, be in the church critiquing the church, et cetera. But if we're talking about spreading a message of hope and Jesus's love and salvation, we have to go to the places where there isn't hope, where people aren't worshiping Jesus, where there is a anti gospel a movement, go and do something different. Now you don't have to do that our own. You can do that with a group of people. You do it with relational and emotional wisdom and intelligence. Mm-hmm, like don't mm-hmm. necessarily be a street uh, preacher, although I don't know, God uses street preacher. So who am I to say? Um, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think we can sometimes as Christians be, be so in our bubble yes, that we don't realize there's a whole world out there longing for Jesus. And if yeah. we're not intentional about getting out of our bubble, we won't, uh, you yes. know, it's like, if you look at evangelism as like one of the things on the table, discipleship, evangelism, going to church, and I don't know, what's one other thing? 
obedience to Christ or reading your Bible. Evangelism is the first thing that falls off the table for all of us. Like Mm. we don't do it unless we're intentional about building relationships with non-Christians. That's good. And and I just love this picture. Not even it's for the church, but also societally. Uh, Joe Rogan inviting him in. And then Sanjay Gupta talks about how Joe Rogan legitimately listened. I think that's so cool. And wanted to understand. It wasn't like I'm bringing you on to defeat you. It was like, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. How much more? And again, Joe Rogan, I know people have issues with him. He's but, problematic, certainly. <laughs> but but in this case, if we had a society that could listen and have these kind of conversations yes. more and more, even if at the end Sanjay Gupta goes, he didn't convince me of his side. I didn't convince right. him of my side. But there side. was a like, mutual respect in listening there. There was a conversation. Okay, hold on. I, ha- I know we're ending, but I have to say one thing, Brian. What does it tell you that Joe Rogan is setting an example for the church in this kind of uh, that's why Medium. I want to talk about it, right? <laughs> uh, it's just this. We do live in these echo chambers where we yeah. just say, nope, I'm right. I can't even – therefore, I can't talk to the people who disagree with me. And I just think that's getting us into a bad place. Well, coming up next, uh, I want to uh, – Aubrey, pose to you a, a pastoral question that somebody asked me. And let me just prime the pump. Let me tell you what it was. They basically asked me the other day. How do we get past bitterness? Oh, wow. I think it's such an important question for so many of us out there. You and I are going to wrestle with it. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope that you're having a wonderful day. All right, Aubrey, I want to ask you a pastoral question. And it's an actual question. That somebody posed to me the other day. The okay. beauty of having a radio show is I can go, oh, let's talk about that. Let's a talk about bit. that on the air. It's something that I think everybody wrestles with. But Aubrey, I got to be honest. It's something I wrestle with really hard. Okay. <laughs> like This is not one of those things where I can answer somebody else and go, yeah, I got this. You know, I got this. No, this is, uh, if I'm going to be honest, a struggle for me. And that's the question of bitterness. Ah, bitterness. Yes. So. Here is the question. It's a twofold question for you. How do we, and maybe you'll take the second part first. It might make more sense. But the question is this, how do we get past bitterness? Mm. And secondly, and maybe first is why does it matter? Oh, yeah. So I I feel like bitterness is one of those (sighs) roots that gets down real deep and if you don't do the work to dig it out and get rid of it, then the the seeds, the fruit that will flow from bitterness or grow from bitterness are only things mm-hmm. like anger, jealousy, pettiness, scarcity. So I think part of you you got to get rid of your bitterness uh, because it's not healthy for you, but also it'll begin to ruin relationships. Mm. It'll ruin things like your career because you'll just be in like a comparison trap all the time. And honestly, it's not what God has for you, right? Like bitterness mm. is not from the Lord. And so I, I, I guess jumping into how the first thing that comes to mind, Brian, and you may have better words than this, but we have to begin practicing gratitude. And I know this feels like almost an overstated spiritual discipline at this point. We hear it all the time, but I don't know how many of us actually look around day by day and write down or mark things that we're thankful for. And bitterness really can't exist at the same time as gratefulness. So as soon as we begin to see the blessings we have, the people around us who love us, the good things God is doing, that begins to dig out those roots of bitterness. 
Hmm. That's good. What about uh, – all right, let's get more specific. Okay. Uh, so – somebody does something to you that you think is unfair. Yeah. We're pastors. People leave our churches, oh, right? Yeah. And so uh, somebody that you've been close to leaves your church and uh, you thought, okay, I should say somebody you thought you were close to leaves your church okay. and and just cuts you off. You never hear from them again, yeah. right? So there's not even that opportunity to have a conversation about this or that. Uh that feels unfair, right? That feels hurtful. That sure. feels like that's not how it should go. Sure. So I struggle with not not feeling uh, an immense amount of bitterness towards that person. Like mm. when I think about them, just like that's not fair. They should have talked to me or why did they have to cut me out? Uh, and it almost feels unfair to let them off the hook in my mind of going, yeah. ah, let them yeah. go. Yeah. There's this and that. So some people might be thinking, and you know, maybe people out there are going, yeah, you know, I've got a family member who hasn't treated me well, yeah. and they don't seem to care. They don't seem to care about the relationship yeah. as much as I do say. Uh, so in those situations, bitterness almost seems like the, not just natural, but the fair response. Why is that not true? No, I think it probably is true. I think it is the fair response. I think it is the natural response. I think the problem is that's the opposite of what Jesus has shown us, like it mm. with mercy and grace, right? Like there, it, that anytime there's unforgiveness, it's because we feel like someone owes us a debt and likely they do owe us a debt. Mm -hmm. But the reality is because we know what Jesus has done for us. We owed him a debt, but he took our debt on himself. That's the posture we have to have. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go and be best friends with that person again. It doesn't mean you have to reconcile the relationship. But if you want to be like Jesus, it does mean assuming the debt that is owed and mm -hmm. showing that person grace and mercy that they don't deserve because as an outflow of the mercy and grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. It is more natural to hold on to bitterness, yeah. but it is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ah, feels like a book. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know about maybe, you. Brian, like you might be right. I think for me, when it comes to bitterness, and this is something that I've struggled with at times about, you know, it might be church related, but it might also just be personal. Like, well, I thought we were friends and yeah, this person just totally. kind of cut me out or they don't seem to care about the relationship as much as that, whatever it would yeah. be. I think something that I realized along the way, Aubrey, that is helpful. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, but is helpful in this situation is generally the people that I find myself bitter towards. Uh, I've had to come to the realization they're spending a lot less time thinking about me and what, <laughs> what, what is angering me than, that than is I probably so am. real, Brian. That is so true. And that realization, so that, you know, use our earlier example, the person leaves your church and they just kind of cut you out. The problem, the reason they probably cut you out is because they thought, they thought a lot less of you and your relationship than you with thought them than of you them. Did. Yep. That's such, that's so true. And really funny, actually, when you, you kind of put it in that perspective, yeah. that does give you a lot of perspective. Cause sometimes I think we can be like, what did I do wrong? What do they think of me? Likely they're not thinking of you. They've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> Likely they've stopped thinking about right. you. And so it doesn't seem fair at all. But Aubrey, uh, kind of a link to bitterness is forgiveness. I think in many ways yeah, they're synonymous. There's some differences there, good, but they're synonymous. And we've often heard that saying that forgiveness, you're actually freeing yourself and not yeah. the person you're forgiving. Help people understand that, though, because it's a bit of you and I talked the other day about pithy sayings. Yeah. It feels a bit of, of a pithy saying. 
uh, but it's actually got some truth behind it. So talk to us about the importance of forgiveness and what it does in our own lives. Yeah, I mean, I think two, I would have two responses to that because one, I don't always think that's true. I Sometimes I think when you uh-huh. forgive someone, it's actually very powerful for them. So sometimes I actually don't think that's accurate. But I will say it is for them as much as it is for you, because once you forgive them, you're releasing them from the debt that they owe you. And therefore, you're releasing your own mind that's going to keep playing over different scenarios and different conversations. Mm-hmm. You're going to release that anger that's in your heart. You're going to release that anxiety you feel. You're going to release that emotional energy that's so negative. When you forgive, you really like let it go. Let it go to God. Trust that mm-hmm. God's going to take care of it. You don't have to pick it up again. And there is emotional freedom that comes from that. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point, and we'll end with this because I think you made a good point at the beginning, is that ultimately our ability to forgive other people and to not live bitter is an outflow of our understanding of the gospel. Absolutely, yeah. That that because that the, I am called to love and forgive and show grace to people the same way that Jesus has shown to me uh, does not mean I need to let them back in my life. Right. It does not mean that I need to go back to what the relationship was before. Right. There's something called boundaries and yep. wisdom in that. Yep. Uh, but we forgive because he forgave us. Amen. We show grace because he showed grace to us. Yep. And I think if we can't get to that point, we're going to live with bitter feelings, harboring unforgiveness. And, and let me say one quick thing, yep, just very yep. quickly. Forgiveness is not always a feeling, right? Sometimes it's an action. It's a discipline. It's a prayer. Sometimes you do it day in and day out. So if you don't feel like forgiving and beautiful and lovely towards that person, that's okay. Keep doing the work of releasing forgiving because of what Jesus has done for you. Well, coming up next, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments in a little bit of a different light. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so thrilled that you're with us this evening. Brian, have you ever done a sermon on the Ten Commandments? Yes. Have you done a sermon sermon. series or like how did you break it down? I did. I did a series through all of them. And it was really, I remember it being a little like going into it, going how, you know, you you always worry about, is this just going to be legalistic? Is this just going to be this? But yeah, uh, especially then when you tie it into what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's powerful. It's powerful, but uh, it allows us to get more at kind of God's heart for us and for community and what that looks like. So yeah. How about you? Have you guys ever done that? Yeah. I feel like we've done, we've done like series sermons through Exodus and Deuteronomy. And so we have hit the 10 commandments, but I don't know that we've done like 10 weeks in the 10 commandments. That could actually be a cool sermon series now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Or a book Mm -hmm. or a book. Oh man. I'm writing that down, Brian. That could be a good one. (laughs) Ten Commandments. Well, the 10 commandments are among the most influential words ever written. Did you know that? I would guess so. More influential than Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully with the coming generations, Hopefully, it still remains right. that way. Um, you know, what's so interesting is I had a professor at Wheaton who said that basically all of our laws, uh, mm-hmm. e- even like now in 2021 in America, have some roots in the Ten Commandments. Like we know his argument is we know what's right and wrong because of the Ten Commandments. I think that's so fascinating that that's how influential culturally the Ten Commandments has remained, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you see them still to this day hung up at courthouses. You yeah. Know, you still see them kind of um, used in that way. So that is amazing that they've hung through this many generations. Yeah, it really is. It really is, especially in this day and age. Um, Brian, okay, so what do you think most people think of when they think of the Ten Commandments? Like, how do you think, like, when they hear them or see them, do you think their heart gets really warm? Or what do you, what do you think? What is people's response to the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I think especially for the Christ follower, we usually look at the Ten Commandments as suggestions. Also, <laughs> That's so true. We also usually look at the Ten Commandments uh, through the New Testament lens that often makes us go, well, I'm not I'm not subject to the law anymore. Right. Ten Commandments are the law. Yep. I'm not. So now they turn into the Ten Suggestions right. because I'm not bound by them anymore. Uh but in doing that, we lose sight of the fact of what Jesus said about them and what Paul says about them. But, uh, yeah, they've probably we probably treat them in those ways. And I think for the, for people who have grown up in legalistic uh-huh. um, venues and ways, I think they become uh, a little bit of triggering. Right. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, this, is just, this is just burden. This is just a weight put around me. This is a millstone. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's so. I think you're right about that. That we sort of see it as a rule, uh, like a rule book, right? Or ethical things that we should consider, but don't necessarily apply to us anymore. Kind of in the post New Testament world right. of of Christians. Well, I, I bring this up because Andrew Wilson, who's a writer, a, he's a songwriter, a book writer. He has an article at Christianity Today called The Ten Commit- Commitments mm-hmm. Behind the Ten Commandments. And he says the world's most famous list of rules is grounded in something deeper than ethical principles. Here's what's funny. Here's how he starts. I love this. He says, awkwardly, there appear to be more than 10 commandments. (laughs) (laughs) He says perhaps there's even 12 commandments. And we've taken some of the commandments and grouped them together, which I think is actually kind of funny. But the the amount doesn't necessarily matter what he's talking about and i think this is really the right way to see the 10 commandments is that these are 10 theological affirmations of who god is mm. so for example I, i've always learned that one of the reasons why god tells us to honor our mothers and our fathers is because he is the perfect parent right mm. the reason that we shouldn't make um graven images is because God has already made his image bearers in you and I, and then ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so the 10 commandments are really not this legalistic uh, do or don't do, but they're affirmations of who God is. They flow from who God is. Right. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's so true. We've got to get to the heart behind the 10 commandments. Like these aren't random things that God said, do these 10 things and I'll be happy with you, right? Do these 10 things, but they, they speak to who God is, what God values, right? I've also heard from people who say um, the overarching umbrella under which all the other commandments line up is uh, idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah. Um, that, that this gets at the heart of God and we learn things about God from the 10 commandments and that therefore following these obediently, uh, striving after these things. We don't do that to impress God. 
but that they are more, it's what we talked about earlier. They are opportunity. They align us with God in some sort of way with God's heart. Yeah. Uh, and anytime we're doing that, it opens a door of opportunity to know God more deeply, but also to abundant life as Jesus talks mm. about. So I think we've got to get away from seeing all of this as burden is really what it comes down to. Oh yeah. That's such a good word, Brian. Uh, something else that Andrew Wilson says in this article is he kind of breaks down the commandments. He says the first two commandments, at least in the Protestant version of them relate to to worship. They clearly, if implicitly, highlight two divine attributes, God's oneness, you shall have no other gods before me, and God's invisibility, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. There is only mm-hmm. one God to worship, and since he cannot be seen, it's blasphemous to make a visual representation of him. Then he says this command is followed and explained by another two divine attributes, God's jealousy and God's steadfast love. Then um, he goes on to say that mercy triumphs over judgment. This does not mean the guilty will go unpunished, but God remains a God of justice. As the third commandment affirms, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who take his name in vain. And uh, just like that, Andrew Wilson kind of goes commandment by commandment to Mm -hmm. remind us of who God is. And I think the beautiful thing about this article, Brian, is it moves you to a place of worship. Like imagine if the Ten Commandments moved you to worship God instead of like, oh, here's these things I have to obey. And here, But like you were talking about moves us to see how powerful God is, how good Jesus is, how this Mm. is part of the new life we have. I think that's a really... Um, cool nuance and perspective that hasn't been explored in the church. And I love for us to continue uh, doing a better job talking about the Ten Commandments in church. Agreed. He, I love how he ends. He says, the Ten Commandments are central to Christian ethics used by Jesus and Paul as a framework for teaching on the obedience of faith. But they are shot through with God's disclosure of who he is and what he offers, perhaps we should call them the Ten Commitments. I, mm-hmm. I think when we view it in that way, Aubrey, as a way to know God more deeply, right? When it's what we talked about earlier in the show: Sabbath rest being an opportunity, a an a a gift to yeah. us, as opposed to oh gosh, now I can't murder anybody, I can't sleep with anybody, but you know, but my spouse, and now I have to rest. Like, what is God doing? Mm-hmm. Like when we view them as these like barriers and these these just weights we miss the point and it says it speaks a lot to how we see god uh but when we see the ten commandments as uh showing us something about who god is and what he values i think there's great power in that yep that's such a good word well coming up that sermon series i know i'm I'm like writing it down i'm gonna write a book on the ten commandments i got a whole plan now brian so thank you for that you've inspired thank you andrew wilson you've inspired me coming up next we're going to share words of wisdom from from a some of our favorite folks on Twitter. Stick around. That's going to be a great conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it's the end of the show. And you know what that means? We like to give you something encouraging or inspiring or meaningful to think about. And Brian, I thought there would be no better way to do that than by just grabbing some brilliant tweets from some brilliant people on Twitter and talking mm-hmm. about the things that they have to say. Because sometimes people are smarter than us. I know that's, that's shocking. Right. Shocking for our listeners to hear. But every once in a while, someone on Twitter is smarter than we are. 
It's, it happens on occasion. Yeah. Just on occasion. Yeah, just on occasion. So I'm going to uh, throw some tweets your way from some of our I favorite people and then just have you respond to them. We'll kind of love unpack it. them pastorally. Okay. Here's a, I almost don't want to tell you who this is because I feel like you're going to know. So I'm going to say it to you and see if you can tell who this is. This is one of our favorite friends to have on the show and one of our favorite people to talk about. Okay. Here's mm-hmm. the tweet. If it is easier for people to guess my politics than it is for them to guess my religion, then politics has become my religion. Hmm. So I cheated. I've seen that. I saw this one this morning going through Twitter. Okay. Okay. So this is. That's our friend Scott Sauls. That's our friend Scott Sauls. Yeah. And I think even if we hadn't seen who it was from, uh, we would have known that that was our friend Scott Sauls. Yes. Yes. But Aubrey, it is such an important point. It is a prophetic point. Yeah, it It is. is. Uh, it is a needed point that think about the people in your life. Like if if they just know you as defined by your political ties and who you vote for and if that's where your passion is. And, and if I went up to people in your life and said, how do they vote? But also, what do they believe? And if people were just like, well, I know how they vote. Yeah. Then I think that um, that's a problem. Yep. That's a problem. But it is so often true because that's where our passions lie. And so he, uh, why I call him prophetic, he takes it to the next difficult point. He says, well, then it's your religion. He yeah. doesn't say that shouldn't be the case. He says, nope, well, you've got an idol. So that's that's where it gets difficult. Yep. I think this is some real, I mean, this is some profound words right here. I just want to read it one more time, just so it sinks in for our listeners. If it is easier for people to guess my politics than it is for them to guess my religion, then politics has become my religion. Whoo, mic drop moment. Mic drop it's moment. A big one. Yep. Okay. Yep. Here's one that is uh, kind of similar, Brian, kind of in that same vein. This is from a friend who we had on the show yesterday, Derwin Gray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, very well-known pastor, former NFL player. And there's some audio that goes along with this. So let's listen to the audio. And then I'm going to read you the tweet. As followers of Christ, we are starting from a place of unity. We're starting from a place of being brothers and sisters. So what I'm saying is if late night cable news is causing you to hate your brothers and sisters, turn off the news, turn it off. And by the way, when you do that, you're going to feel a lot better. Like, stay connected and plugged in, but some of us just think about it, think about it, and it's just tearing us apart. Don't let what Jesus bled to unite be torn apart by dark foul powers of evil. Unity matters to Jesus. Therefore, it must matter to us. Okay, so that's Derwin Gray also dropping the mic, and he says this, if the news is causing you to hate your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off. Mm. What do you think about that? It, I mean, yes, yes, and yes. right. Amen. Uh, and I think you can expand that because he was talking particularly about cable news. Yep. Uh, and he says, you know, ultimately, the goal here is that I love my neighbor, but also that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if, you know, if you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, you watch uh, Fox News and I watch CNN, whatever else it might be. And that's causing a division between yeah. us and it's causing bad feelings towards each other, uh, then, then the, you have a choice. You, I can either hate you increasingly. I can either increasingly have bad feelings about you, or I could turn it off and choose relationship over that. I would expand this and I'm sure Derwin would as well. If Twitter causes you to hate your brother or sister, mm. if Facebook, yep. if yep. enter in, then get off of it. Like those things don't, 
don't trump uh, relationship and community. It doesn't mean you don't argue. It doesn't mean you don't debate. But these things can really work against us. And it ties into what Saul said earlier, right, about politics being our religion. Yeah. If you can't separate those two and that's going to be the deal breaker for you with other brothers and sisters in Christ, then you've got things mixed up. Yeah, that's exactly right. This one was convicting for me, uh, Brian. I almost called you Derwin. Uh, Brian, because I... I when I first read this, I kind of went, yeah, so you people turn off the news. And then I was like, oh, wait, maybe I should turn the magnifying glass on myself <laughs> and look at the echo chambers that I'm in. Because I think my te- my temptation is to be like, well, my echo chamber is at least better than your echo chamber. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so this yes. one was really convicting for me. Like, well, wait a second. This means you too, Aubrey. This is not just about the person on the other quote unquote other side, but this mm-hmm. is a word for you as well. If anything is causing you to hate your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off. Don't mm-hmm. pay attention to it anymore. Okay. This one's going to feel like a little bit of a left turn because it's a little different, but this is from our friend Sharon Hottie Miller. She's been on the show as well. She says this, Brian, and because we're church planters, I wanted to share this and, and uh, tell me what you think. She says this probably won't resonate with anyone but church planters or small business owners. But one of my biggest leadership challenges this last year has been learning to use the phrase, I am not the person to make that decision. (laughs) Tell me why that resonates with church planters and small business owners. And what did you think? Because so we only know starting churches, but also it's like starting a business or anyone who runs a small business or anyone who runs something where uh, everything I struggle with this so much because I'm not the personality type that likes everything to run through me. Ah, uh, okay. And yes. therefore what happens, what she's getting at here is that like when you start a church, especially when you're the one who started it, people want to ask your, uh, they want your approval before any decision is made. And my guess is if you start a restaurant, if you start a small real estate company, whatever else it might be, it's going to work the same way. People are going to always want your, but it gets exhausting Yeah, to have to speak into everything. And here's why, because A, I don't have time to speak into everything, but B, I don't have either care or, <laughs> or I'm not, I, I don't have, that's not part of what I'm good at. Yes. Right? Like, I think I that's might not, so good. There's a ton of people in my church who can speak into say, children's ministry or worship ministry better than I can. So why am I the one that ultimately needs to uh, thumbs up or thumbs down something? And so she's saying, and, but often we're the problem because we allow that. Yeah. We sort of become the bottleneck everyone goes to when instead we should be like, Oh, well, if you're passionate about that, you go for it, you know? Right. Right. And so I think learning that phrase, I'm not the one to make that decision. I think it will throw people and it will, it might be uncomfortable, but I think ultimately it will pay dividends, whether it be your church or your business. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, we're going to end with the, the Twitterer of all Twitters, tweeters, and that is mama Beth Moore. Here's what she says. She's talking about um, Ebenezer's. And really like marking moments where God showed up in a season when we didn't know we'd get through it. And here's what she says. I think this is so beautiful. We'll end the show this way. She's She is raising her Ebenezer. And she says this, thus far, my aging hand is still in Keith's. Thus, that's her husband. Thus far, mm-hmm. I can still lend some help. Thus far, I can get out of bed, walk dogs, go to work. Thus far, I still enjoy things like the way a leaf rocks gently in the air, a lullaby falling to the earth. Mm. That's far. Thus far, excuse me. I still believe in Jesus. I still believe Jesus died and rose again. And because he did, I am changed and ever changing. 
Thus far, I still believe in the communion of saints and the fellowship of sacred joys and suffering. Thus far, I still bear my children close and have them in my heart, though miles stretch wide between us. Mm. Thus far, brothers and sisters, that which we thought would kill us didn't. The world that we thought would fill us didn't. The Lord who we thought might forget us hasn't. The devil we thought would destroy us couldn't. Here we raise our Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord. That's beautiful. Oh, I'm going to let you end it. Why, I mean, why did you I, choose that? I mean, I, I don't know. I just thought there was so much strength in that. Like the things we thought would tear us down. And I think especially after the past year and a half, we've all walked through. The Lord has still been faithful. And I, I don't know. There was just something so beautiful. I hope, it is. Hope that encourages all of you. And thanks again so much for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow right here from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.